This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, and open with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Of course, you and I may know this chapter as what has been called the Great Hall of Faith. Tremendous, tremendous Christians mentioned and their faith in Christ, their faith in God and His Word, and where that led them and the victories that they experienced and others, even though victory wasn't in view and in hand's reach, still trusted that God was faithful and true and continued on faithfully. And I'm challenged by, by these Christians as we read about them and try to put ourselves where they were and with the, the, the understanding that we have of their times as we go through the Bible and see many of these. But I'm always challenged when I get to the end of chapter 11, and that's where I'd like to read from this evening. And starting in verse number 32. So follow along with me please as I read Hebrews 11 and starting in verse 32. And the writer says, What shall I say or what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I am always challenged by reading concerning these heroes of the faith, as we call them, and they, they are heroes of the faith. Many that are multitudes that are unnamed in those last few verses that we read from about the middle of verse 35 down through 38. I'm challenged, I'm, I'm humbled by them because I, I see in them an appreciation, a dedication, a, a faithfulness that 
not many get to see. Not that we desire to be martyrs for Christ, but a faith that is admirable and a faith that is challenging and that really shows us the value of what we have. Sinners saved by grace. Think about that for a little while. Think about all that had to take place that you and I could sit here tonight rejoicing and in freedom and being able to sing together and fellowship together. All because of that wonderful day that we put our faith, we chose to put our faith in the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Born into the family of God, sins forgiven, an inheritance given, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. And we received that in that one moment when we turned our faith to Christ. And these are folks that valued their faith, whether through insurmountable circumstances and God gave, giving them the victory or to the death, they believed what they had trusted. They allowed it to permeate every part of their life, of their lives. It was the driving factor that got them up in the morning. It was what motivated them throughout the day. It was why they were the way they were because of their faith in God. I was reacquainted with a story and very challenged by it. And so God has just stirred my heart and uh, dealt with me personally about some things. And so misery loves company. And I want to share that misery with you. I want to share and just remind us, if I can tonight, the value of the faith. The value of the faith. And that's the title of my message. Our tears are no longer of water, they are of blood. They do not merely obscure our sight, they choke our very hearts. The Waldensians of Italy said this after what is known today as the massacre of Piedmont. This is the story that I was recently reacquainted with. In January of 1655, the Duke of Savoy made a, a, the Waldensians in the lower valleys of, it, of Italy to make a choice. They either had to attend Catholic Mass or they had to leave and move out of the valley within three days. Within three days. So in the dead of winter, somewhere around the 2,000 mark of people, these 2,000, some 2,000 people journeyed across flooded rivers. They traveled through snow-filled valleys. They, they walked over and traveled over ice-covered mountains and traces of their own blood marking their trail. The Waldensians that lived in the upper valley, of course, welcomed these refugees and they shared what little provision that they had with them freely, but the worst was yet to come. Because in April of that same year, the same Duke of Savoy sent an army to the upper valleys. 
He had been deceived. He had been told that the Waldensians had some type of a resistance group. And so to squash that perceived resistance, he ordered a gruesome slaughter. And so on April the 24th, a Saturday in 1655 at 4 a.m., the signal went out for a general massacre. Now, I won't give the details of the, of the massacre, but they're indescribable really at what, what took place. I mean, they weren't just simply content with, with killing their victims the soldiers and the monks who accompanied them just invented all types of, of cruel tortures and, and ways to, to kill and to destroy these believers. Babies and children dismembered. Parents forced to watch it. Even some families' parents having to Wear as a garment portions of their children's body before they were tortured and put to death themselves. Some of these Christians were plowed into their own fields like fertilizer, like dung. Some were burned alive. There's just the, 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 the inventions and the wickedness and the depth of darkness goes just deeper and deeper. Unburied bodies, dead and alive, covered the ground. I don't think that we... It's truly as gruesome as it was. There were hundreds of uh, Waldensians that fled and, and thought they got away and they found a, a cave in a local mountain and, but the soldiers found them and took them and hurled them down the, the cliffs to their death and this is the reference in Milton's famous sonnet the bloody Piedmontese that rolled mother and infant down the rocks the survivors of it were very few but they rallied together, they wrote to the Christians in Europe, and they were asking for help, and their, their stories included just inc incredibly uh, happenings and experiences, and that's when they said, our tears are no longer of water, they are of blood. They do not merely obscure our sight, they choke our very hearts. Oliver Cromwell Heard the news of the massacre and he called for a national day of fasting in England. He collected money to, to send to meet the physical needs of the, of the Waldenses. But that massacre is a little known. That was back in 1655 and we say, well, wow, those, those were barbaric days. But I think you and I well understand that massacres and acts like this happen all over the world. As a matter of fact, some have said there are more that are being tortured for their faith now than have been any time in the past. We don't see that. Thank God we don't experience that. There are a lot of believers out there that, that have a faith that just seems to be unshakable. 
when so many American Christians get thrown out of kilter with bad weather or a pain in the side or an ingrown toenail. The story and so many more like it and and what was alluded to here in our text causes me to ask myself a couple of questions and these questions I ask often, they're not easy questions to digest, but they're ones that I think with all of the rejoicing that we are privileged to do and have and the freedom that we have and the joy to get to meet together. Young people, please listen to this tonight because what we have could easily be changed very quickly in one generation. And so I ask myself two questions and I want to ask those or I want you to consider asking yourself these questions. The first question I ask myself as as a result of this is, do I value the gospel message like I should? Do I value the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ like I should? Does it hold value and does the Christ of that gospel stand as preeminent in my life? Is his story the one that I want to tell the most? Is his story the one that I talk about the most? How do I value the gospel? And I begin to think about how I spend my time and where I spend my time and how I plan my schedule. And it reveals to me the things that I count as valuable and important. The things where I spend my time, the things where I spend my money. I say my money and my time, but it's not my time, it's God's time. It's not my money, it's God's. Where am I spending it? And, how am I, and what value am I showing in the things that I do by where I go and where I spend my time and what I schedule? Because you understand that what is important to us is what we schedule and make a part of life. What you and I want to do, we will accomplish. We will do it if we want to do it. I'm going to do what I think is important. And that very gospel that frees us and the Bible that's made it known to us has been loved and it has been held dear by many before us who gave their lives rather than compromise their faith. But it just seems like nothing for American Christians or for believers. And maybe I'm being a little hard because of dealing in my own heart. But even today in in repressive nations around the world, there are Christians faithfully and loyally suffering for Christ. And some even given their lives. Past and present, Hebrews 11 reminds us of these heroes and the faith of whom the world, the Bible says, was not worthy. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to turn away from the faith? 
How valuable is the faith that we sing about and we preach about and we talk about and, and, and we rejoice in? How, how valuable is it to us? What are we willing to endure that the great commission be accomplished? There's no easy way to give the gospel. There's no easy way to spread the faith. It's just not easy. It's never going to be easy. And no matter how much we plan and no matter how much we work at it and no matter how many things we gather around it to try to make it more palatable, it will never be palatable to the souls of lost and dying people because it goes against everything that the flesh stands for. But it is the power of the gospel that got you and I to where we are. It is the power of the gospel that broke through and helped us to realize who we are, sinners saved by grace. It was the power of the gospel that helped us to see ourselves for who we truly were. We were lost, rotten, filthy, nasty, wicked, dark sinners under the condemnation of a holy God. And yet that holy God in his holiness and yet in his love extended to us an opportunity to be forgiven to have our names written in heaven and to be able to have a perspective where when struggles and in, 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 uh, hardships come our way that we can indeed view it as light affliction as Pastor spoke about this morning. Do I value the gospel message like I should? I think if I value something, I'm going to talk about it. If I value something, I want other people to know about it. If I value something, I'm going to hold it high in priority in my life. Do I value the gospel like I should? The second thing that comes to mind that I ask myself and <clears throat> is, am I too easily distracted from spreading the gospel? Am I too easily distracted from spreading the gospel? There's something about reading Hebrews 11 and these verses. There's something about this story of the massacre in Piedmont that kind of helps put Christianity in perspective. It reminds us how valuable the faith is and sometimes how shallow our own faithfulness is. And it reproves us for investing our time and our energy and our loyalty into anything less than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all understand that the reason why you and I were saved is because of the love and grace of God. But he left us here not to only enjoy the abundant life, but to share it with others who do not have it. And to help them to know that the Savior that loved us and saved us is willing to save them. If they'll hear it and turn to Christ. And so often, so many things get in my way of keeping the main thing the main thing. Investing time and energy and loyalty into other things that are important, but maybe not priority. I'm not suggesting that our 
walk should be 24-7, preaching the gospel on, on street corners and, 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 and talking to, you know. I understand we, we, we have families and we have jobs, but you are with that family and at that job and at that neighborhood and in that place so that you can be a light to a dark world. Every job that we've had has been there so that you and I could influence people for the gospel's sake. Every affliction that you've endured and I've endured, we've gone through it so that we could influence somebody for the gospel's sake. Every circumstance that comes into life, God wants to use it so that we can influence people for the gospel's sake. I'm sorry to say, but sometimes the world needs to see the suffering of Christians in the right spirit and placing the right value on their faith. I think about these things. I'm talking to the Lord sometimes about it. And I say, Lord, I'm not asking for it. And nobody would ask for those sorts of things. But I wonder sometimes, do I value the gospel the way I should? What if those things, these types of things, were to happen? Am I too easily distracted do I use distractions as a, an excuse? You understand every single one of us will stand before God. We will look Jesus Christ eyeball to eyeball, and I imagine not a millisecond after that, eyeball to feet. And what will we have done with what time that God gave us, what energy God gave us, what talents God gave us, what treasures God gave us. Because where we spend that is where we show what we value. The Bible reminds us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God's got no problem with the things but what we have a problem with, what I have a problem with, is the priority of those things. <laughs> but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Paul told Timothy, he said, lay hold on eternal life. That, that, that thought, that verse, that portion of scripture has, has just played over and over and over in my mind? Am I laying hold on eternal life? Am I living for things that are eternal? Is my life here spent living for eternity? Is yours. With eternity in view. The Bible reminds us, and Paul wrote to the Church at Colossae, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. John wrote, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. There's so many things that we surround ourselves with, and they're not all bad things, but they may be good things, but out of priority and used as an excuse for not performing what is the most important thing that we are alive and breathing God's air for, and that's to share the gospel. And to help people who are sharing the gospel. I wish there was a prettier way to preach it. A fancier way to present it. 
Well, the simple, honest truth is, is we will stand before God with whether or not we shared the gospel or we didn't. We witnessed for him or not. We obeyed the Great Commission or not. And, and there are no excuses. There are no reasons that are valid. There's no age limits to it. There's no hindrance. Look, there is nothing in this world for the believer that will be able to say, ah, here's the reason that will be accepted by the Lord. Where are my affections? What do I value? Do I value the gospel message like I should? Am I too easily distracted from spreading the gospel? We can spend our lives doing good things, but if it's not the most important thing, then what real good is it for Jesus Christ? Hard questions to ask. Hard questions to think on. But they are definitely motivating in my heart. And these stories put in perspective the priorities that we as God's people need to be reminded of. I didn't, <laughs> you know, when you preach, you always want to be an encouragement and a help. But there are times where we just have to look at it for what it is. And see where we're at. View it honestly. So we see these things. We, I talk about these things, these questions that I ask myself. And perhaps you're asking yourself, so what can we do? What can we do? What is the answer to it? I mean, there's no magical stuff that you can use to, to uh, change. It is just a matter of obedience to the Lord. It is a matter of holding it up as, as where it belongs. It is a matter of deciding, number one, decide that you're going to make a difference. Decide that if you are Christ and you belong to him, then he is worthy of you giving your life to him to fulfill what he's asked us to do, and that's to tell people of the love of Christ. And so you and I have to make a decision, a daily decision, that we want to make a difference. Let me ask you a challenging question. Can you think of anybody in your life right now that God is using you to make a difference in their life. I hope you can. I hope I can. Can you think of people that God is using you to encourage toward the gospel and encourage in uh, getting saved and, and encouraging them by, by your life and your example of faith? Historian Thomas Reeves, who was a professor for many years at University of Wisconsin, he wrote, Christianity in modern America is in large part innocuous. It tends to be easy, upbeat, convenient, and compatible. It does not require self-sacrifice, discipline, humility, an otherworldly outlook, a zeal for souls, a fear, as well as a love for God. I don't know about you, but that is not the faith that I read about in the Word of God. But that seems to be the modern faith that is taught and spread and given. God did not save us just so that we could go to heaven. He calls and he commands us to have an impact here on earth. 
When we trade the shame of the cross of Christ for the acceptance of men, we have forfeited the power to shake the world for Jesus Christ. And that's what it comes down to. Because it's not the power of man. It's not what you and I can do or how we can say it. It's about obedience and trusting God with the gospel and with the outcome. And that is where the power comes from. But when you and I, because of the pressure of man and the unpopularity of the gospel and, and, and what the gospel message demands. Listen, the gospel demands a decision. You can't get away from that. If you're gonna share the gospel, it demands a decision. Every time our pastor stands behind the pulpit, every time he preaches the word of God, it demands a decision in my heart and in my mind and in yours as well. And that decision is either yes or no. It's either to surrender or to be hardened, but a decision is made. I don't know about you, but I want to decide to make a difference because it's far better to be despised and even persecuted than to live a life without making a difference for God. I don't want to go through this life and enjoy his air and enjoy his blessings and enjoy his abundance and enjoy all of the wonderful things that we get to sing about and rejoice about and get to heaven and realize I've not made a difference. But I want to make a difference. But if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to decide to. It's not going to happen just by accident. You're not going to give the gospel by accident. You're not going to live for Jesus Christ by accident. You're going to have to do it on purpose, and you're going to have to decide in your life what is important and how valuable the gospel is to me and what things that will burn up am I distracted by. It's a life of discipline. That's why they were called disciples. It's a life of, as Pastor mentioned this morning, self-denial and dying to self and realizing that this old flesh is never going to lead me to do something that's pleasing to God. Never. But the Word of God will, 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 will lead me to make a difference in somebody's life. And I want to make a difference, don't you? I believe all my heart our pastor wants our church to make a difference in Hickory. I believe we have. I believe we are. And yet I believe there's so much more that needs to be done. Just in, just in my own personal witness and perhaps in your own personal witness. Decide to make a difference. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to make a difference. So what can we do? We can decide to make a difference. You can decide in your heart, God, with you helping me, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be looking for someone that I can tell about your love and the story of my life of what you've done for me. That leads me to number two. What can we do? Decide to make a difference. Number two, tell your story. Your story is incredible. Your story is miraculous. Your story is amazing. The fact that you're here and that you know Christ is absolutely phenomenal. It's a wonderful story that anybody that God is, is, is drawing would be willing to hear. 
said, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I got saved when I was five, and been going to church ever since. Well, listen to me. That testimony is an amazing story. You might have gotten saved later in life and gone through a whole heap of, of, of sin and bad decisions and horrible circumstances, and you met the Savior and he saved you and forgave you. That's a miraculous story. That's a wonderful story to tell. It doesn't matter uh, if you grew up in church or if you got saved later in life. If you know the Lord, it's amazing that you're saved. It's miraculous that you're forgiven. It's a wonderful story to share with somebody of what God pulled you out of or what God saved you from. It's a miraculous story because it's unusual. It's not, it, it, it's not what's, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It's not the, uh, something that people hear often. The story of a changed life. Stop, stop hiding behind the excuse of I don't know how to use the scriptures. And use the scriptures that God used to help you know Christ. Tell your story. What God did for you. What God brought you from. What God saved you from entering into. Tell your story. Think of the Apostle Paul. What an incredible life he had. I mean, just think about the experience on the Damascus Road. In one day, his life was completely upended, rerouted, and utterly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Paul never got over it. There's a lot of Christians who seem to get over the excitement of their salvation. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse with everything I've got to get over my salvation. It was the greatest day in all of my life. It will always be the greatest day in all of my life. And I want everybody to know about that day. That it was January 26, 1992. And I love telling people about it. I was talking to a man uh, yesterday. Lost, dying of cancer, hospice, called in. Smoking a, a pipe and drinking hard liquor. My heart was just broken. For this man, as I tried to share with him the gospel, I shared my testimony with him and where God saved me from and the life-changing power of the gospel. And unflinched. And sometimes that can be discouraging. But your, their response to your story shouldn't determine whether or not you tell it. The Apostle Paul told his story, it seems, every opportunity that he had. Acts chapter 26, Paul was waiting to go to Rome and he shared his story. Got a visit from Agrippa and what did he do? He gave his testimony. He was in court for legal matters. And he shared his testimony of how God, how the Lord Jesus Christ met him on the Damascus Road. 
And he turned his faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we kind of take the gospel, excuse me, the gospel message and we kind of package it in our own unique story, our own unique testimony, it, it does seem to be more palatable, if you will, more attractive, more relevant to those with whom you share it. I think everybody loves to hear a good story. I can't think of a better story to tell than the one that the day we met Christ. When Paul told his story, it was a story of a past that was sinful. Like they sang, if you could see what I once was. Oh, I love talking to sinners that know they're sinners. Because then I can tell them about how a sinner found the love and grace of Christ and how they can too. His story told of a past that was sinful. He didn't paint a picture that was pretty. He didn't try to paint uh, the, 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 uh, the, his life as, as one that would be uh, a model uh, in his past. He bluntly detailed his life of opposition against Christ he, 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 and, and against Christ's followers. He was honest with people about who he was. It's not a bad idea for you and I when we tell our story to be honest about who we were when Christ found us. His story included the point of surrender. Salvation is a surrendering point. It's the place where we meet with the penalty of our sin and we recognize that it demands a decision and it's either to receive or to reject. And the Apostle Paul received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He, he surrendered you get to tell the story of how God worked in your life and through the circle. I love telling people about the, the invitation song at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in High Point, North Carolina, where he preached and, and they sang just as I am, got to the fifth verse. I was under such conviction. I was white knuckling the pews, just grabbing a hold of it. Got to the fifth verse, the last verse in that hymnal of that song, and uh, I made a deal with God in my heart. I know you're speaking to me if... After this verse, you have them come sing one more. It was the last verse. You close the book, you go home. But the preacher came to the pulpit and he said, I don't know why, but we need to sing one more verse. And there came the point of surrender. <laughs> you know what miraculous things God did for you when you came to that place of salvation? Why wouldn't we want to tell it? Why wouldn't we want to share what Jesus Christ has done for us? Why does it seem to be so difficult? I think it has something to do with the value we place on it and the things we allow to distract us. His story showed the purpose of his salvation. Paul continued with that story everywhere he went. Acts 26, 22, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. Paul understood that minus the grace of God, he never would have persevered to that point. And all the things that Pastor read about this morning that he had endured, he never would have made it without the grace of God. And he loved telling what God had done. Look, tell people what God does for you. Tell people what Christ has done for you. Share that with people. Talk to people. So often we're, 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 we're okay with, with, you know, perhaps taking a piece of, of paper and putting in someone's hand and, and I'm all for gospel tracts and I'm all for saturating areas and we do it and I love it and there's nothing wrong with it but sometimes I fear that I hide behind that instead of confronting people with the love of Christ and talking to them. 
And sometimes we just need to stop and talk to people. You may never get an opportunity to share the gospel, but that ought to be your motivation. Talk to people. If you have the opportunity, tell your story. Oh, listen. With boldness, may God help us in our commitment. Would you ask yourself these questions tonight? Do I value the gospel like I should? How many of you are thankful you're saved? I think that would be all of us. Look at your priorities. Look at your time spent. Look at the things you spend your time and money on and ask yourself, where is the value? Where do I, how do I value the gospel? And am I distracted by too many things? And is the Spirit of God is already speaking to hearts? Perhaps we as believers need to be at a point of surrender, decision. There are many, I would say, that know how to witness and have witnessed. Can you remember the last person you led to Jesus Christ? Can you remember the last person that you gave the gospel to, that you spoke to the gospel, that you explained? Can you think of the last person? I don't know where you are with that, but if it's a struggle, it shouldn't be, should it? really shouldn't. For all that Christ has done. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.